Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but before Mr. Kelly gets out of here... Now, when yep. you come to work, it's still dark, correct? Oh, yeah. So you cannot see the like the fog over the rivers and the valleys. And I stuff drive like through that. it. Right. It was a little foggy this morning. Right. Not real bad, but it was a little foggy this morning. It has morning. been yeah. the last couple of days, actually. Yeah. So yeah. it's really kind of cool. It is cool. It's really pretty. I mean, you, and I had a raccoon run out on me this morning. I'm Whoa. just glad it wasn't a deer. I missed him, barely. But I'm just, I, I drive down a very rural road, and I just, you know, you're always looking for deer. And when it's foggy, it's even scarier, but yeah, it, it is pretty. So for I th- sure. so this wasn't a pet raccoon. No, so you said no, run out. Not on that you. I know of. I thought maybe it was your pet. And no, it ran he ran away. it. No, I don't have. I have ducks. My neighbor's ducks are now, and you you got to see the ducks. Oh, they're so funny. We got two <laughs> gangs, and they fight each other. Oh, it's funny. Uh, peacocks, a uh, horse, but uh, no 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 pet raccoons. None. They They do come and steal my bird food, but they haven't in a while. Right. Yeah, How about hummingbirds are gone, right? No, we still have them. What? Not as many as like about two weeks ago. Right. But yeah, we still have hum- yeah, few we hummingbirds. Yeah, I haven't seen any for like almost probably 14 days now. Yeah, they're shipping out pretty close. Right, yeah. but still the monarch butterflies are coming by. They're coming up a lot of butterflies. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks for sharing your raccoon story. Sure. You look like a bandit. <laughs> Yes, folks, uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we're going to discuss whatever you like, your yard, your landscape, your garden, your houseplants, whether to use a potting mix or potting soil, how to improve your soil, pruning bugs, diseases, plant removal, plant installation, great time of year for plant installation, and making the best choices, remember... My words, open opportunities, but after that, it's going to take mental and physical work on your part to get through this marathon called gardening. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg. Again, he's producing. So Greg Harvey, is he hasn't gotten sick of the Garden Hotline yet, which is kind of unbelievable. But anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are available at various locations, and I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting and on weekends, too, sometimes. And uh, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage, my email address and phone number. And uh, where I can be reached. And uh, today, for a good gardening or for the walk and talk, I'm going to the city, very close to where I live, right near Brightside, St. Louis, and then also to Afton. So staying close in. And uh, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Speaking of St. Louis Composting, I want to thank them for having me out last week. It's always a great time, great fun to spend, even though it was like raining, horrible, and everything else. I mean, it's just, you know, it's kind of cool. It's a great place. And the Good Gardening Stroll steps off right now. 
Misty fog over the Mississippi River as the sun was rising, weaving through one of my old neighborhoods, finally stopping at Lafayette and 8th. This is a south entrance of, guess what, Soulard Market. And there's Casilli urns and pots that are, I guess they were put in by Soulard Restoration Group, which is a great group responsible for a lot of the stuff that goes on in Soulard. And they were overflowing. They had a banana, coleus, lantana, some purple leaf, sweet potato vines, and other things as well. As activity was picking up, the doors opened to the building. And a couple runnable scooters, they seem to be more popular in the Soulard area than the bicycles, uh, are laying there waiting for somebody to say, hey, I'm going to ride a scooter. There's a grove of datura with pods, buds, and flowers, pure white flowers, sitting there. A massive cottonwood leans over the pavilion. Cricket sounds provide the tempo for the morning. Several more casilli urns, some with hibiscus, some with more coleus, some with petunias, variegated foliage of other things. Some river birds, yeah, they're kind of underneath some of the other larger trees, and they're bending to get more light. Perennial sunflowers, the ray and disc flowers are gone, but uh, that offers seed heads to any small bird that is interested. Also, those seeds could drop and be self-seeding and increase the colony. Uh, the ground is becoming littered with fallen leaves. There's a granite cobblestone circular bed with elephant ears, begonias, and more. Roosters inside the market greet all comers. Black pipe sculpture of people in various stances and positions greets you as you go right into the Sular Market doors. Sign reminds you that Sular Market is open year-round, Wednesday through Saturday. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. KMOX, keeping you up to date with frequent weather updates 24 hours a day on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments about your garden, your yard, or whatever it happens to be, 314. 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Boy, this temperature is just, I mean, it's roaring. And the thing I hope doesn't happen, remember last, let's say earlier this year, when we went from winter straight to summer? I hope we're not going to go from summer straight to winter. And, you know, in the sp- we skipped spring. Are we going to skip fall too? I mean, 90 degrees this whole week? Oh, my goodness gracious. Shelbyville is where Jeff lives. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. I've got about a little less than an acre of, of yard, and I'm overrun with crabgrass. Um, over the years, I've done the weed and feed, and it's handled the dandelions pretty good. But last week, or actually two weeks ago, I dethatched and, and core aerated my, my lawn. I'm ready to overseed and then use some peat moss as a dressing. My concerns are with the watering aspect of trying to get it, keep it water. I've got a sprinkler set up. But I'm wondering if that's not going to be sufficient enough to, for me moving the sprinkler around to keep a whole yard watered. Well, if I hopefully you have a vacation, you know, for the next two weeks because you got to keep the seed moist for you know two full weeks. Right. So I mean, anything less than that, you're wasting your time. I would say, you know, rather than trying to do a, let's say near a full acre all at once, I'd break it down into sections and just do one section each, let's say each September. 
for a couple okay. years to get it under control. And then remember, too, the crabgrass, how you get that under control is next year when the forsyth is in bloom, you put a pre-emergent down. Right. I, I purchased some Queen Clorox 75DF, some heavy-duty stuff to kill the crabgrass, but I'm wondering if it's too late now to do that. Well, I'm assuming, I don't know how much you mow your lawn, but crabgrass is just prolific this year. It is everywhere, and it has been producing those seed, you know, arms coming up out of the ground that kind of look like something from Jack Skellington, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. And that's, I mean, it's been dropping seeds for multiple weeks so you may kill the existing stuff there, mm-hmm. but there are still huge numbers of seed in your lawn okay. that are going to germinate next spring. Okay. So go ahead and do one part of the lawn this September and then just keep doing it, spreading it out? Right, exactly, because that's going to be too much. I mean, to do a full acre, I mean, that is a lot of work. And if you fall behind on a little bit, especially when the temperatures are like this, then your seed could germinate, and you see, oh, you get busy, or you skip, or whatever happens, you miss watering it, and then that's it. It's dead. Yeah. So when would I apply the second pre-emergent then in spring? Is it uh, about mm. June or July? Or? No, no, no. You put the first one down for the spring, you know, for the warm season weeds, the crabgrass and stuff like that, and then the next one for the cool season weeds, you do mid to late August. Oh, okay, very good. Okay, sounds good. Thank you very much. Yep, and let's stay with the letter S and go to Mary's Yard in Sappington. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Um, I have plentiful rows of Sharon that's grown up to my front bay window. How do I go about cutting that back? Uh, basically, if you want to just enjoy the flowers for another you know month or so, just let it flower, and then at that time you got from... When the foliage starts falling off or it stops flowering, you can prune it back at that time all the way up until the new growth begins next spring. So you've got about six months' worth of time that you can prune it back. Well, how far back do I prune it? Well, how tall is it? Uh, it's about five feet high. I wouldn't cut more than half of it off. Oh, okay, very good. Thank you. Certainly. And now let's go to someplace in Illinois. I don't know where, but Dee Dee lives someplace in Illinois. Hi, Dee Dee. Hi. Um, I was just curious. We have a two-acre lot, um, so we mow about probably an acre and a half. And how often should we de-thatch the grass, the yard? And also, what are your thoughts on rolling the yard to smooth it out in areas? Rolling the yard is the worst thing you can do because that creates compacted soil at the surface, and that makes it very tough for lots of plants to grow lawn, basically. So rolling is, you know, that's, you know, early on after it's been, let's say, rototilled or something like that, you want to roll it to smooth it. But you can never get enough weight on a roller unless you got a roller that they use on roads to, you know, to smooth out asphalt or something. You're not going to smooth it out as a result of doing, let's say, a yard roller. Even if one you fill up with water, you're going to create more trouble than you're doing good. And as far as dethatching, about every three years should be adequate. First year, you're going to be surprised at how much, let's say, debris there is. But each right. year, there should be obviously less, but you're always going to have some because even if you bag your clippings from your mowing, thatch is a lot of times just dead grass plants because, right. I mean, that's all it is. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Yep. And as far as the depressions and things like that, you're going to have to just bring in new soil, mix it in with the existing soil, and level it that way as opposed to try to compact it and press it down. 
Now let's go to Winsville, and Big Al lives in Winsville. Hi, Big Al. Uh, thanks, Mike. Uh, I have a question and a comment. The question is, if, if you spray nut, nut sage, nut grass, and you kill it, is there still enough residue seeds in the ground that that plant will come back next year? And then the, the comment is there's a spray on the market now that kills nut sage, crabgrass, and broadleaf weeds. So you only have uh, nine fluid ounces per gallon, and you only have one bucket to carry around while you spray. I would be, you know, I'd be a little concerned about something that says it can kill all those things without damaging regular lawn. That's, uh, you know, very unique. So I don't know the product myself. But as far as nutsedge goes, uh, yes, there's going to be some seeds that are there. Even though, you know, the sedge enders and things like that are systemics, there can be seeds that have already discharged themselves from the root system that they were formed on. And also, if you allowed it to get those flower stalks that come up out of the ground, you know, out of the blades, they could have dropped seeds too. So getting nutgrass under control is a, a multiple-year circumstance and experience. Can I tell you what spray that is, or is that against the ground rules? Oh, I don't know. You can say it. I don't... Uh, spectra, spectracide. It's uh, made in St. Louis. It's called Weed Stop, and that doesn't harm the regular lawn. Okay, great. So Weed Stop. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Well, thanks. Thank you. Yep. And let's see if we can get another call in before we go to break. Let's go to Caseyville, Illinois. Letty, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Um, I have a problem. My neighbor has free-range chickens. Yeah. And I want to know, I have nothing against the chickens other than they keep scratching up on my mouth. When it goes in the grass area, I'm not too bad. I can rake it back. But it's getting out on the rock of the driveway, which is virtually impossible to get that mulch back in its place. Right. Do you have any suggestion to try to, would mothballs help to try to keep the chickens away? Well, I don't think, I don't know if mothballs would help. You could try it. I mean, I don't know of any kind of repellent for chickens, to be honest. <laughs> That's what I wonder. <laughs> Other than standing outside and just chasing them away every minute they come over. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when they're scratching around, they're not necessarily going down. I don't know, you know, what kind of, let's say, nostrils chickens have as far as being able to, like, smell this versus smelling that and thinking, oh, my God, that's mothballs. I got to get out of here. And, you know, to me, it's just going to send them someplace else. So I don't know what, you know, what to suggest to you, to be honest. Maybe maybe. you have any feral cats that live around there? No, that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, come over to my yard. I'll help you trap some of the feral cats in my neighborhood that I'm sick of because they go to the bathroom on my lawn sometimes, and you can take them over to Caseyville. (laughs) Maybe a caller will know what to do. They can call in, and I'll listen to your show. (laughs) Great. Thanks. Yeah, you know, free-range chickens, hmm, that's uh, something I don't know, you know, how to control. But uh, who knows? And let's see if we can get another call in, and let's go to Florissant and to Clarkshire. Hi, Clark. Hi, Mike. I'm having a problem with voles. The voles have um, devastated my sedums around my patio. A few of them had flopped over a few of the plants, and, and then when I started pulling, I realized that the voles have eaten off all the roots underneath them. My qu- uh, Well, two questions. First, 
have have the plants been ruined? Am I going to have to replant next spring, do you think, or will they come back? Uh, Seedlings are pretty tough. So even if the root systems have been eaten, you know, a lot of times, you know, I live on a corner and a lot of people walk their dogs. And you know how dogs, especially male dogs, mark their territory by scratching, especially with their back feet. That throws sedum, which I have between the sidewalk and street, you know, all over the place. And I just pick it up and I throw it back into the bare areas and water it in really well and just kind of let it go. Now, all of it does not root, I, you know, I have to admit. But now I will tell you, too, voles are not able to tunnel themselves. So you must have moles there because voles use old mole tunnels. Moles only eat insects, bugs. They don't eat any plant roots or anything like that at all. But definitely voles do. So also you can find out where the vole, you know, tunnel, they live underneath shrubs and, you know, by porches and things like that. Find out where the exit and entrance holes for the voles are for their dens and put some, you know, large rat traps there and put peanut butter and Velveeta cheese on the traps and try to get rid of them that way. Well, that was my second question. I've set half a dozen traps, uh, you know, near their holes and in their trails where they travel because I'm told they're blind and they just follow their trails. Um, and I've only caught two in six in, in, in two weeks. I didn't so know I'm, voles were blind. Well, okay. I, I, I'm, I probably have that part wrong, but anyway, I'm told that they follow kind of the same trail. Yeah, they do. Correct? Because I mean, they're only going to follow that trail because if it leads to food. So if, it, you know, if whatever their food source was in that area is now all of a sudden gone, then they're going to make some, let's say, new ones. But, yeah, just keep trapping them with, you know, the way you're doing. Is there any other, is there any kind of poison that you would recommend that I could just put, like, put down the hole? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with, you know, the voles are you'd have to have some kind of poisonous plant type thing. And I don't know of anything that you could put down in the holes that would be, you know, plant related. Because if it's like, let's say, those poisonous rubber worms or whatever, you know, fake worms, gummy worms, that you use to, for moles to eat, that's different because the voles would just walk right past them. They could care less because they don't eat worms. So I can't okay, so think you, of anything that would be plant-wise that you could put down there that would be poisonous to them that they'd be enticed by. So you just recommend trapping them. Yeah, that's about the only thing I know that's effective. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Yeah, and it's the rat traps, and, you know, obviously you found out where they're coming up out of the ground, too. So even though they don't dig tunnels, they do dig dens. And the dens are just, I mean, that's sort of a a place to stay over in the wintertime and a place to have babies and a place to go rest and all that other stuff as well. So thanks, Clark and Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Swing and a long one in the left center. Get up, baby. Deep left field. Back to the track. The wall. It's a grand slam! A grand slam home run. Hello, Mr. Osuna. It's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. Will the boys of September rise up to become heroes in October? So we're going to look up in September and see where we're at. We're your home for Cardinals baseball. Listen to this crowd. KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you are putting any grass seed down or if you recently put it down, I don't know if you heard me in the first segment, but you've got to keep the grass seed moist for up to like two weeks. You, you know, let's say... It stays really hot like this, you know, for a longer. It may take a little bit longer, but you want to make sure that the seed is not only germinated, but its root system is penetrated into the ground. I am still confused myself. I was out in Chesterfield for a walk and talk on Wednesday, and some a contractor was there, and I guess they had put some seed down. They'd done some core aerating and everything else, and they were throwing straw out. And the straw was really thick, and I still don't understand what the straw is all about. They say, oh, it keeps the birds away from the seed. Come on, you see birds all the time walking across lawns, picking up stuff and moving it out of their way because they think there's something there for them to eat, whether it be a seed or a worm or a millipede or a pill bug or whatever it happens to be. So I'm still mystified by that whole straw thing. And if if you're watering every, you know, every day for a couple weeks, I mean, it gets a little bit kind of damp underneath there, and you could have a fungus problem on your newly germinated seed. So anyway, that's my point. Let's go. Letty, had we talked to her earlier. Now she has some information on voles. Hi, Letty. Yes. I have a suggestion that worked for me for the voles. I did this years ago. I uh, dug a hole, and then I took one of these paper packets of rat poison and crammed that down into that hole where they're at. And it worked for me. It might work for him. Yeah, very, you know, that's good because really voles are just kind of big mice. They're not really too right. much more than that. So if uh, that, you know, that could certainly be an option. Yeah, it worked good for me. All Got right. Okay. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yep. All right. Yeah, those Bye-bye. stupid voles. But uh, <laughs> if you do have any questions, now also start watching for sure. And especially if you didn't have not put down any kind of pre-emergent uh, for the you know mid to late August, for the you know the cool season weeds that are coming, henbit is one of those weeds, and it's you know I mean that is absolutely prolific. And there's also a type of veronica that's you know germinating right now. There's the annual bluegrass that germinates now, and the one that everybody knows is the chickweed that's germinating now. So those things germinate now. They're cool season, cold season weeds. They'll grow all winter long, and they only start dying off when the weather starts warming up next year. Shepherd's Purse is another one of those, and rabbit foot clover as well. So those cool season weeds are taking over for the crabgrass and everything else. Let's go now to Albers, Illinois, and that's Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing today? Very good. Love your show. Really appreciate your good wealth of information. Uh, the way I always taught was with the straw was that it helps hold the moisture. So you don't have to water as much. I don't know. That's just what I, you know, the old wives tale kind of thing. Right. Uh, my two questions are, I'm, I tried to raise blueberries, you know, because, uh, trying to get something growing in the, in the place that I could eat. And I, I took a, about a bushel basket size out of the ground and then put in cow manure and, and some loose dirt. Is there anything I can do to help acidify that faster to make the blueberries grow? The last set I planted about two years ago, they just never did anything. They just sat there. (laughs) Well, first of all, I'd get a soil test done and find out what your soil pH is. Okay. And because blueberries need, you know, like around a little bit around five or so. And if you don't get that pH down to there, they're just not going to do anything. And manure and that kind of stuff is not necessarily going to be what's going to lower your pH. 
So, I mean, ferrous sulfate and things like that, chemically, those are soil amendments or additives. So, like, if you would have an oak tree that, like, there's ones right out the window from the studio where we're sitting whose leaves are really yellow. So that means there's a lack of iron and the pH is not right. So the sulfur changes the pH, and then what that does is by changing, you know, the pH, then also then that makes the nutrients of iron more available to the tree. So find out what your pH is and then start looking, you know, to change your pH if you need to, you know, because maybe they just died because, you know, other conditions were bad and maybe your pH is low enough, but you won't know until you get it tested. Until you get it tested. And the other question I've got for you is I've got quite a few uh, kind of dwarf fruit trees and the two pairs I have just seem like they shoot straight up in the, in the sky no matter how much I trim them, they just keep shooting, uh, I guess you call them water shoots, straight right. up. The one tree is about three, three times its height going straight up. Is there something I can do? What is causing that? Uh, basically, what it is is the tree is under stress, and it's pushing out that rapid growth because it needs more leaves, because it needs more food. So, in other words, it's starved. So, in other words whether there's not enough nutrients or moisture or whatever in the ground because that's what comes up through the root systems and then goes up to the leaves, and then the leaves use sunlight to make food. And if there's not enough leaves to you know, support the tree, whatever size it happens to be, then that's when all these water shoots happen. Also, it happens if you have trees that are grafted. So in other words, three different trees or two different trees actually stuck together with a root system different than the trunk and you know that kind of thing. So a lot of times... The root system doesn't understand that, well, I'm just supposed to support the trunk, so but I'm going to put out all these shoots anyway. So that's, you know, it just depends upon the individual circumstance with your dwarf trees. Because there's not really much I can do then except maybe, have, again, have the soil tested to see what my, uh, how many nutrients I've got. Right, that would certainly help. And also just the overall health of the trees, you know, how does the foliage look and everything else. And also, you know, how many flower? How old? First of all, how old are they? Uh, the one of them is about ten years old, Ooh. and the other one is just like three years old. Yeah, I mean, and they're both doing the same thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. and also so, maybe your installation of the trees might have not been ideal. When you plant a tree three times the diameter of the root ball, but twenty percent of the root ball should be above the high, you know the surrounding ground. So, in other words, it's on kind of makes it look like a you know a mound or a hump. But uh, okay. that may be a factor as well. Yeah, that's probably my problem because I usually put them right level with the grounder. So that was probably my uh, me bad then. Huh? Yeah. So what happens there is they'll settle, and then consequently there could be you know water that sits around the settling, even though it's not dramatic or anything. And you could have root rot, and that could be another reason why the trees are putting out this aggressive growth. That uh, you know just as a survival mechanism. Yeah, the one the older pear tree. Uh, it started bearing. It was, I mean, I had, you know, quite a few pairs. I actually had to pull, um, thin it out a little bit because sure. it had so many pairs for about two or three years. And then just slightly has been just going to this rapid growth stuff that I just can't stop. Yeah. And if it's so, doing that too, it could be just at the end of its fruiting cycle. So in other words, it's, you know, sort of headed downhill. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Appreciate it. Yep. Yeah, Albers, there's a lot of uh, great nurseries and a lot of things going on over there. So now let's go out to St. Charles and into Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. 
Hi, Mike. Thanks for your service. Uh, I've got a couple of lawn questions that you may have answered earlier in your show, and I missed it, so I apologize if you're repeating some information. But I'm reseeding and overseeding uh, my yard. It took quite a hit this summer, and I'm using the fine fescue, uh, tall fescue blend. Are there any particular? Each manufacturer has different, you know, different names for these these grass seeds. Are there any particular ones that do better in this area? And also. Some of them have this water smart. I know you're talking about watering uh, the lawns. Does that water smart really do anything? Not really. At least I have not had that experience. It, you know, there used to be something that you could mix in with your your potting soils or your potting mixes that would absorb water and then slowly release it. I fooled around with that for a couple of years, and I never found it was really all to that much advantage. So, in other words, it had these kind of gelatin beads. And then the beads would swell with moisture, and then they would, let's say, exhaust themselves by letting the moisture out slowly but surely. But it never was adequate. So, I mean, it may help a little bit, but I don't think it's going to help all that much. And especially if if it's windy or if the temperatures are high or anything else, I'm not, you know, I don't really kind of go along with that. And I can't remember what your first part of the question was. What what? What type All the of blends. Tall yeah. yeah, it's you know if it's a blend, it's a blend, and they're the you know the people that produce the seed, they're going to have different ones, and I don't think there's all that much difference. I just think that, as I always say, a blend is by far better than one type of variety of anything, simply because if there's some kind of radical disease that all of a sudden starts happening, it could wipe out all that particular variety. But if you got a blend, it may just you know, and you know, there's like five or six different kinds of seeds in there, it may only p- impact one of this type of seeds, even though they're all fescues. Okay, and then one last question is: I'm going to put down some starter fertilizer, and when I look at the different manufacturers of starter fertilizer, they're all over the place. Some are 24, 25, 4, 18, 12, or I'm sorry, 18, 24, 12, 10, 18, 10, 13, 13, 13. What, what? And they all call themselves starter fertilizer. What's the best composite of starter fertilizer? Well. F- yeah, obviously, you probably don't have a soil test, and I keep emphasizing soil tests no. as I always have because that can tell you, it, let's say you put down a 12, 24, 24, but your soil test indicates that you have extravagant levels already of phosphorus and potassium, and those are the last two numbers. We're finding that a lot of times lawn suffers if there's extravagant levels of phosphorus and potassium. So a soil test would be the ideal thing to do to find out, first of all, what your soil has and then second of all, uh, I would, you know, the nitrogen, the first number, I, you know, it sort of dissipates in a few days anyway, but I don't like to put one down that, you know, that's really in this time of year more than 15. But that's just my own personal, you know, circumstance. Uh, it probably doesn't really matter all that much, but it's just my own, I guess, paranoia with the nitrogen-related thing. But also with the phosphorus and potassium, if your soil already has you know, adequate you know, numbers or percentages of that there, then it would be like a 15-4-4 or a 12-4-4 or something like that would be the starter, even if it doesn't say starter fertilizer on the bag. Okay. Okay. And then I, I, and it's been a number of years since I had a soil test, and it, everything looked good back then. But should I take the soil test? And I've been I've been procrastinating doing this, and now I'm paying the price. But should I pay, take the soil test before I fertilize or after I fertilize? No, you should do it before, because okay. that way you can find out what there is. So then you make the adjustment on what kind of fertilizer you've purchased. So in okay. other words, if you do if you do it 
after you put the fertilizer down, then that's going to show what the you know what actually has happened as a result of the fertilizer, not what there is existing right now. Okay. 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 Well, thank you very much. Yep. And now let's take a break, and we'll be talking to Joe as soon as we come back. Hey, folks, Chris Kerber here, and it's time for St. Louis Blues preseason hockey. This Tuesday, the Blues face off against the Dallas Stars. You can catch the game on the St. Louis Blues app on 98.1 HD3 or stream it at radio.com. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Boy, a lot of things are going on in the outdoors right now as we're transitioning, hopefully, from summer. We've only got a few days of summer left till the 20, what is it, 22nd or 23rd. That's the first day of fall. And uh, I'm not seeing too much color change, and you never know what's going to happen with the color changing because of our weather's been so up and down and all around. We're way, I mean, we're above normal rainfall amounts, but we had that extended period where there was no rain for multiple weeks. And so consequently, it's going to be real interesting to see who's going to give us some color and who is not going to give us some color. I have noticed some dogwoods are starting to change. And uh, one thing, too, I don't know if when you're driving around through the city, you've noticed this vine with small, let's say, quarter-size white flowers on it. I mean, that is the sweet autumn clematis. They smell, I mean, smell like anise. So it has a great smell. I know, I used to use it a lot in design work. I never realized, and they kind of have sort of a strange-looking seed that's you know airborne, obviously, but I had no idea that they were that invasive. So I don't know how or when. It just seemed like all of a sudden they started coming up all over the place. But it, it is nice, to be honest with you, when I'm walking and you see a big bank of sweet autumn clematis you know, growing up over a fence. It is just, I mean, oh, the aroma is just absolutely fantastic. So let's go now to Brentwood and go into Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I had several uh, questions for you about camellia. Um, the first was whether we live in a zone uh, where camellia would do well. No. no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're... Uh, uh, too, too far north for that? Exactly. That's why at the Botanical Garden, you can only find the camellias in the chameleon house. Ah, uh, okay. Well, that shoots the rest of my question. <laughs> yeah, but thanks. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank I mean, you. you can have it as a house plant, but to be honest with you, I wouldn't invest in it as a house plant even because they don't do well in the house. They drop a lot of leaves and they really kind of just, I mean, they struggle at best. If you want to build a greenhouse, that would be great. But other than that, I would say stay away from them. I was uh, wanting something that might grow into a hedge that was real pretty, had flowers, that kind of thing. Yeah. I have not done well with roses, knockout roses. Uh, and so I'm, uh, you know, searching around for something or other. Got any recommendations? Uh, flowering hedge, how high do you want the hedge to be? Oh, about four feet would be good. Uh, maybe a little bit less than that. Is the area sunny or shady? Well, part is sun, part is shade. Part the the, the shady part is near a, a maple tree, the shadow, uh, and then the, it's about fifteen feet long, and the other half is pretty sunny. Yeah, if it is you know near the maple, then the, anything that you put in is going to be competing with the maple tree roots, 
And that, I mean, anything you put there is going to lose. Give me your best bet. Uh, I would look um, maybe at a plant called Abelia, A-B-E-L-I-A. Okay. It's going to be a little bit shorter than what you want. And another one that's not going to be flowering, the abelia has small white flowers, flowers pretty much through the entire summertime, and they're t- trumpet-shaped flowers. And another one, if you can kind of give up on, let's say, the idea of uh, flowering is look at boxwood. Well, okay, boxwood. I got plenty of that. Yeah, it's boring, but uh, it's functional. Boring but effective. Right. Okay. Hey, thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. Certainly. And now let's go to Collinsville and to Doug's yard. Hi, Doug. Hi, good morning. I have a question about, we, uh, I'm moving into a new house. Uh, the yard is about three years old and not in great shape. Uh, we just did a weed, uh, the weed application a couple weeks ago. would like to aerate, overseed. Um, how quickly after the weed kill can we do that? Um, First of all, is this, also, was this weed killer a post-emergent weed killer or was this a pre-emergent weed killer? Uh, post. Okay, so in other words, it was to kill the actively growing weeds. Yes. Okay, so consequently, you really, depending upon what you use, look at the label of, because it can be a little bit different depending upon what product you use. The label should say, don't, you know, don't put any seed down within 14 days, 21 days, 30 days after this application. But in reality, if it was to kill broadleaf weeds, like a weed be gone type thing, you should be okay if it's been a couple weeks. Okay, perfect. Uh, and I also noticed there's a, uh, I'm assuming when this house was built, it's got a little nylon like mesh. I'm assuming that was where they rolled out whatever grass and straw mix when they initially planted. Is that going to be an issue in terms of further growth? I don't know that I'm, I'll be able to get it out, but I've noticed in a, that in a couple of uh, bare spots. Yeah, that's kind of a really ugly, you know, horrible thing. It, what it probably, you know, they maybe put it down as a weed preventer, so as landscape fabric. So it prevents weeds from coming up from underneath, but it does not prevent weeds from, let's say, seeds landing on it and penetrating down. So in theory, it should be okay if you put grass seed because the grass seed should be able to penetrate. But I would be very concerned with the freezing and thawing and those kind of things of our wintertime and our weather that it may cause that netting to sort of heave up a little bit and just cause, you know, some other trouble once you get your lawn established. Okay, great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. And so I know it's going to be a nightmare to kind of get rid of it, but there is, you know, where, I mean, these things, these people can roll out and that's like, the, I mean, it's automatic, but it's not going to be doing too much else. That We're not going to be able to take any more calls in this hour, but Ronald, Eric, and Bob, just hang on. We'll take you right after the news. So, boy, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Keep mowing your lawn, and, you know, it's been a drive for a couple days. So today after the show, I've got a couple walk-in talks i got to do, and then I'm headed home and uh, going to do watering, watering the plants that I have in pots, also watering my lawn. So you got to make sure, I have zoysia, but you still have to make sure, regardless of your lawn type, that as we head into wintertime, that the root system, whether it's cool-season lawn or warm-season lawn, is well hydrated. So really dry root system is the worst thing you can possibly have for your lawn. It just weakens it and will cause trouble in the future. So keep the watering going on. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will talk to you and see you right after the news.
KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. There's three or four people in line, but you can get there for your questions, comments, or concerns. And, Mr. Kelly, during the break, you said your wife, Sue, is out planting. Yes, she. well, she's getting ready to plant. We oh. got a whole bunch of plants from a, a relative who's moving, and so she's kind of going through them and figuring out, okay, what are they, where do I want to put them, that kind of thing. So they're perennials? <clears throat> yes. Ah. Yeah. So are they going, because you've sort of like given up on doing a lot of vegetable gardening, are they going into garden space like that? No, not so much. The garden, the big garden we had was over on like the side, we call it the side pasture, and you can't really see it from the house. Ah. So this is going in the backyard. We have a pretty neat little garden now, but we're going to expand it. And then uh, see where else it might go as well. So, yeah, we're going to have a a much bigger flower garden next year. So that's what you're planning when you get off today. Uh, Actually, today is an even better day. It's one of the days we look forward to every year. We pick our hockey tickets for the season. Whoa. We have three of us that share season tickets, and we're going to meet, and we're going to draft our tickets. Wow. That's even better. That's better than Better than, than planting? Oh, oh, come on, man. Oh, yeah. There's nothing better than plants. No, we're going to plant the seed of the a new season. The heck with that hockey stuff. No, we're planting the seed of a new season. <laughs> Let's hope it blooms into June. <laughs> Very creative. Uh. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. And, folks, thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call. We can talk about plant selection up and down and all around. This past week, I bought some ornamental kale, some ornamental cabbages, and things like that for some new fall color in some of the pots that I sort of, like, had sitting around in the garage. Also, I have not been able to find any pansies yet, but I did find a flat of pansies, so I've got those up in window boxes in our kitchen window. I always tell Tracy, I got some pansies. She said, I don't like pansies. They're too boring. I said, well, you know, that's just her her thing. But the ornamental kales and cabbages, the pots were too big to put in the window boxes that we can put in the kitchen window. So I've got them in pots, some by the back door and some just in our small backyard patio. So how about your ground covers, your perennials, your edibles, bulbs? I did buy some bulbs, too. I have already ordered bulbs from uh, Brightside St. Louis. But I got some minor bulbs, meaning there was one type of crocus I'd never seen before. So I thought, I got to try these. So it's only a pack of like six, so I'll be interested to see. And I got some other things, grape hyacinths and a few other type of minor bulbs. Minor bulbs are just the smaller bulbs versus the daffodils and onions and things along that line. Perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly for you to consider. Greg's still producing. He didn't get sick of it yet. And uh, so during the weekend, sometimes on the weekends, I do what I call a walk and talk, where I come to your home, evaluate your landscape, whether it's aesthetics or problem solving or both. And uh, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone number. So today... City was my first walk and talk, and then Afton is my second walk and talk. Now, a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. This is Don't Miss the 25th Anniversary Celebration of the Whitmer Wildflower Garden in the first ever Native Plant School Fine Garden Symposium at the Shaw Nature Reserve. Shaw Nature Reserve is out in Gray Summit. 
what how this thing actually happened is the pollution in St. Louis was getting pretty and because of all the industrial things, pretty heavy duty. So Henry Shaw, that founded Shaw's Garden, which became the Missouri Botanical Garden, bought this land out in Gray Summit in case the pollution started really adversely affecting the plant material. He was going to move the Botanical Garden out to Gray Summit. In many ways, I'm glad he didn't. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. It is a great place to go. So on Friday the 19th, 4 to 7.30, Social in the Garden, welcome introduction and a presentation by Scott Woodbury. And uh, it's 25 years of native landscaping at the Whitmer Wildflower Garden. And then on Saturday, October 20th, 8 to 4.30, a presentation on the history of gardening, native plants of the St. Louis region, and guided tours and much, much more. So you can go to www.shawnature.org slash symposium if you'd like more information. So that sounds like a cool time. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's take a call or two. Let's go to Ronald in North County. Ronald, how are you? Pretty good, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, last week on your show, you you had a call to call in in regards to it was like a plant. Uh, uh, it was a, a yellow. You said the color of it was yellow, and it was like a perennial and a annual. You spelled it out, uh, and I was kind of interested in wanting to know whether or not what was the name of that plant or shrub that you was referring to. Mm, to be honest with you, I can't remember. So it wouldn't be, it couldn't be an annual and a shrub, bo- or an annual and a perennial both. Yeah. Well, I would say it's more of an annual than anything. Then. It, and it's it yellow flowered. Yeah, it, 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 it started with an H. Uh, hmm. I can't remember. I'll just have to continue to listen to the show. And, <laughs> Yeah, Maybe yeah, it might come up again. Yeah, or, it doesn't ring a bell. That shows you how dumb I can be. I just forgot, yeah. you know. Or I might try to get you on the internet and uh, see whether or not if I can get a past uh, program of the show. You know what I mean? Yeah, there is podcasts. So of the it show, is. so you can go, you know, and check the podcast out from last week. Right, right, uh huh. And maybe I can get it from there. Right. And, and, and what is the difference between pre-emergent and post-pre-emergent? When should you plant? When should you spray it one against the other? A post-emergent is something that you use to kill plants that are already growing. Okay. A pre-emergent is something that you're putting down to kill weed seeds that haven't germinated yet. So a, a pre-emergent does not have any impact on plants, on weeds that are already growing. Yes, well, these weeds is already in my backyard. Yeah, I'm so trying to control them. They they look like they grow all during the winter and summer. Well, there are so some what? that you know are very very tough and can do that. Dandelions is one of those. Well, it's so, not a dandelion. Yeah, but I and mean, there's several. Power. I'm just giving that as an example. Yeah. So. So, so what would I use a pre post pre emergent? No, just a post emergent. Post-emergent. So there's not a post-pre-emergent. Post-emergent just means plants that are actively growing that you can see. The other one is strictly for seeds that you basically can't see. 
Okay. Well, these I can see. I'm trying to pull them up. You know what I'm saying? But it they got an evasive. You know. Right. So uh, I want to put something on it to maybe not come back next year. Well, to be honest with you, you're getting late in the season to get any kind of real control. So if you're going to do it, do it very quickly and just don't expect it to kill all things. You know, you're probably going to have to get after this stuff for a couple of years. Okay. So go to your favorite garden center and take some of the leaves with you right. from these right. weeds so they can actually tell you, oh, this is nutgrass, you got to use this. Oh, this is this, so you got to use that. So they can give you specifically what, you know, what the best control is. Right, so it's a post-emergent that I need. Exactly. Okay. All right, I'll remember that post-emergent. Perfect. Thank you so much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. First call of this session, Bob in Dix, Illinois. Hi, Bob. Hello, Bob. Are you there? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Are there uh, male and female persimmon trees? Uh, no. They all have fruits, and so they have the flowers they have on them have both male and female parts. Okay, because I got a bunch of persimmon trees coming up. Some of them are loaded with them. Some of them don't have any. So well, some fine. of them are young, so I mean it's yeah. age factors, yeah, and young. there's there's other things you know that can impact it too. But I I forget where I was the other day, but I was shocked at how many persimmons were hanging on. And persimmons produce groves, so in other words, they send root systems underneath the ground and send up other shoots. And I mean, I was like, wow. Yeah, they're really loaded this year. But another question is: there anything you can do about? Uh, them galls getting on red oak trees? Uh, basically, they, you know, for the most part, no. I mean, there's an yeah. injection system, but, the, you know, it's just, there's, it's, I don't think, <laughs> personally, I've not seen it be all that effective. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you could try it. I mean, you get a hold of a lawn ser- or a tree service come out, and they will inject it. And what it does is, uh, I just don't think it works. So I won't even go into that. That's Dix, Illinois. We're headed over to St. Charles, and Betty lives there. Hi, Betty. Hi. I have, like, spider webs on my greens around the house, and they're just filled with worms or bugs in the inside of them. Wow. So are these, like, pine trees or something? No, it's like I have several holly bushes. Um. Best thing you can probably do is just go out. I, hopefully, it's not spider mites. So spider mites can be really damaging. But it, regardless of what it is, just go out with a hose and put a nozzle on it and just start knocking, you know, destroying all these spider webs. Because, I mean, this time of year, there is going to be normal spiders, like spiders that are not detrimental to plant material, all over the place. I've got them on mugo pines. I've got them on boxwood. I've got them on a Leland cypress I have. Very, you know, and I see them all over. So these are regular spiders, but uh, if you've got worms in there, that's not a good sign. But also there is the fall web worm, but that's usually on bigger trees. And again, if it's a fall web worm, they don't really do all that much damage, but just go out with a hose, you know, and just, you know, knock as much of the webs down as you can with just water. Okay. Thank you. Yep. yep. And just have some fun, you know, spraying water. Shoot some up in the air and see if you can get some rainbows. So now let's go to South St. Louis and in the Jane's yard. Hi, Jane. Hey there, Mike. How are you with shooting the water up for rainbows? 
<laughs> My God. But anyway, what I wanted to ask you is this. Um uh, my neighbor had a blue spruce. Okay, beautiful tree. All of a sudden, it turned totally brown and died. Can you tell me if whatever killed that tree could have spread to our yards because her yard then took on a brown appearance in spots, as did mine, and we have the same grass cutter. So is this something that... Uh, I should spray for, or should I just get out there and work my ground and put in some tall fescue and call it a day? Basically, whatever killed the spruce, whether it's anthracnose, who knows what it is, or anything else, probably right. anthracnose have it died pretty quickly. So, in right. other words, that's an internal disease that's spread by from a you know, a, let's say a beetle is on a tree that has the anthracnose, and usually right. you know it imp- impacts mainly the pines and spruces and things along that line, and then uh, consequently, then it flies to another tree that doesn't have it, and it can impact you know and introduce this anthracnose in there. Now, also, you should go over there too. And has the tree been taken out yet? No. Okay. Oh, yes. Yes, the okay. tree has been taken out. I'm sorry, Mike. That's okay. But basically, I was going to say, I have noticed that there has been several spruces that have had huge numbers of bagworms on them, and they've almost defoliated the bag, you know, the spruces entirely. So that wow. could be you know, part of it. But if you know, the tree service had took it out, my guess it, it was probably an anthracnose-type thing. And whatever that is that affected the blue spruce does not affect your lawn. But I will say that if one of you guys had some kind of disease in your lawn that's, you know, let's say a bad fungus and the mowers, you know, are going through it and they're cutting it, the mower blades can get that on the blades. And then if they go someplace else, they could be spreading the disease that way. But also if your yard is lower or higher than hers, I mean, sometimes fungus can be spread by rainfall running across water or running across the ground and going into other areas also. Oh, wow. Okay, well, yeah. I, I went ahead and got some uh, tall fescue, worked my ground out there, and the fescue is filling in the, the bad areas, and I sprayed out there with a solution. This is going to sound crazy. I diluted some vinegar, because I know vinegar, if you put it on full force, it's going to do a number on whatever you're putting it on. Right. So I did dilute it, and... For some reason, the brown spots are going away and the tall fescue is coming in. Uh, I want to be quick. I don't want to hold up your line too long. Uh, Mike, uh, I I think I have some evergreen boxwood. Can you tell me if they get the red berries on them? No, they do not get berries. Okay, well, which one of the... uh, the green, the, uh, I don't know what you call them, but which ones do get the uh, berries? Well, there is holly that get berries, and also the female ewes get red berries. I got it. I got it. Okay. One one more thing. I don't want your callers to go, will she get off of there? Uh, I have a coleus came up out uh, along my fence in the back by the alley. Right. And the thing is like three foot tall. Yeah, some of the varieties get really huge. So you don't wow. anticipate or expect them to necessarily self-seed, but I'm, I'm seeing more things you know, self-seeding than I ever imagined. But that's probably because of our weather, wintertime not being all that severe, and that's how this is all happening.
Oh, well, thank you very much for that. And listen, thanks for your show and thanks to your listeners for putting up with me this morning. Okay. <laughs> I won't tell them your address. Don't you dare. <laughs> Bye, Mike. Uh, see you. Let's go north now to Hazelwood into Melissa's yard. Hi, Melissa. Good morning. I have a question. I have a crepe myrtle, and I was wondering when's the best time to cut it back and how much do I cut it back? I personally, I never like to cut anything more than 25%, but that's my own thing. Sometimes I've seen crepe myrtle been, being cut back severely, like 50, 60, 70% back. But basically, okay. crepe myrtle, let it flower as long as it can. When the flowering stops and the foliage starts dropping, then you can prune it from that time all the way up until next year when the new growth starts coming out of the stems. So, in other okay. words, the reason why you're doing that is because it flowers on new wood. In other words, growth that's going to be in the spring of 2019. And so, consequently, you want to get any kind of pruning done before that so you don't sort of mess up the new, you know, let's say the new stems for the following year, which those stems will, again, then have flowers. Okay. Thank you so much. Yep. Yeah, crepe metals are great. I mean, I was, I forget where I was. Oh, Anyway, it doesn't matter, but I mean, some dwarf crepe myrtles, which I've never had a whole lot of faith in, there is one variety, I don't know specifically what it is, but with, with red flowers, I'm impressed at how small it stays and how round and everything else. So now let's go from Hazelwood back south into South County and Peggy. Peggy, how are you? Fine. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate your program and all your information. Now I have a red maple tree that turns beautiful leaves yellow and that. But this year it's just taken a dive and I've only got a fourth of the leaves yet. Is there anything I can do to save this tree? Ooh, that's not a good sign. It's only has, so three-fourths of the tree has no foliage, no leaves on it at all? No. Ooh, that's not a good sign. My tree man told me, he says, there's no boars there, but it is dying. Yeah, boars are not necessarily, they don't impact maples all that much. But how how big is it? Is it a huge tree, or is it, you know, how long, do you know how old it is? Well, I've had it for about 15 years. Well, that should not be, you know, that shouldn't be an old, you know, an old you know, an age factor. Just keep your fingers crossed, because I have sugar maples as street trees around my, you know, I live on a corner, so I have three. And last year, the one that faces Christie Park it lost about 60% of its leaves through the summertime. So I thought, oh, gosh, this thing is dead. But this year, it actually came back. So it looks, it's still not quite as thick as the other two, but it's not bad. So I would say just, you know, like I said, keep your fingers crossed. Maybe next year, maybe this year, because of where it is and everything else, and our weather was so goofy, that's what impacted it. But uh, other than that, you know, there's not too much you can do. Well, I was putting a hose right by, by the trunk, you know, and leave it there for maybe an hour off and on. And I thought maybe that would help because it needs water. No, because basically right at the trunk, there's no absorption of moisture. So if you're going to try to water it, go out about halfway from the trunk to however far the branches go out and lay your hose there. Because that's where the feeder roots start. And feeder roots mean they uptake nutrients and moisture. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for the information. Yeah, and just, I mean, watering may not be, you know, what the problem is. Because I said, like I had said in the first hour, we are actually ahead of the amount of rainfall that we normally have on average this year. 
So even though it seems like it's been super, super dry, we've had super really wet spells. We've had super, you know, dry spells. So, you know, I mean, something like that could impact your tree, and that's probably more so than anything. And just like I say, keep your fingers crossed. And what you can do is just uh, wait until next year and see how it leaves out. So thanks, Peggy. And now let's go to Frank, and Frank lives in South St. Louis. Hi, Frank. Good morning. I have a trouble with uh, major vinca overtaking my front lawn, and how would you get rid of that? Uh, now, is this vinca minor? Is this like? Uh, I think it's vinca major. Is what my wife told me. I'm not really sure, but it spread from a flower basket to the front lawn and just overtook. So, is it? Area. Are the leaves green, or is they are they like whitish and, and pale green? Uh, they're green. Okay. So, are they? Basically, if it's a broadleaf plant, which it sounds like, you got to use like a broadleaf weed killer, like a weed be gone or something along that line. And if this is, you know, if this sends runners out like the vinca, you know, it does. Vin- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you can go out there and start pulling it up to get rid of it because the herbicides are going to be somewhat ineffective this late in the season. But you could go ahead and spray it with like a broadleaf weed killer and see if you can weaken it and just stay on top of it next year. As soon as it starts growing, you know, if it's evergreen, you know, and don't put anything on it. The winter, even in the winter, it stays green. Yeah, so it's probably a vinca. My, you know, would be my guess is. But anyway, so in the springtime, if it's vinca minor, then it's going to have blue flowers on it, which doesn't really matter because you don't want it because you want to get rid of it. But right. as soon as let's say it flowers in the springtime, then start applying the broadleaf weed killer again, the weed be gone type thing, and just stay on top of it. Read the label. You may, depending upon the one you get have to spray every two weeks to get really effective control. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a long, involved process to get rid of it unless you go out and start digging it and getting it up entire root systems, you know, as well as probably using herbicides. I, I think I'll try to dig in part probably. And uh, about tulips, is it a little early to be planting tulips? Yes, I think so. Tulips, I don't like to plant any kind of bulbs before mid-October. But some people say you can plant all of them except the tulips. Tulips are always going to be an October-planted bulb, but uh, I like to do them all later in the season. If I would buy them now, should I refrigerate them or anything like that? No, you don't have to refrigerate them. Just don't, you know, don't leave them in your garage. If your garage gets really hot, put them in the basement. Just put them in the dark. And if they're in plastic bags or anything, even if you buy them and they're in paper bags Mm -hmm. and you leave them in a plastic bag, don't do that. You know, put them in a box or a cardboard top, you know, something cardboard so they can get some air circulation. If they're loose, the same sort of thing. Don't put them in plastic bags whatsoever. Oh, okay. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yep. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And if you do have any questions, we've got a few lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Milstad, Illinois, that's where Eric lives. Hi, Eric. Hi, Mike. Thank Appreciate your show. Hey, I've got a couple questions for you. I've got, uh, we aerated our lawn yesterday, and I'm planting, and it's an established lawn, mm-hmm. and we're figuring on putting some uh, fertilizer down, and we're going to get some compost from St. Louis Compost, and then it, you can just put both those down together, I guess, right? Right. And then as far as the seed goes, if it's not going to rain for maybe a couple of days or so, would it hurt just to wait a couple of days before putting the seed down, or should I just put it all down together? 
Well, you can do it. Well, you don't. You don't want to do it now. You know, you can do it now, but don't start watering and then stop, because if it okay. doesn't rain, you're going to create a problem. So once you put the seed down, then you're c- totally committed to watering for at least probably okay. two weeks or so. And if you can't do that, then you know, and and you know, you don't necessarily have to do it every day. I consistently say it should be done every day. So just so the seed, once it germinates, it cannot dehydrate. If it does, then it's dead. So once we put the, uh, so would it hurt to wait a couple of days if it's supposed to rain about Wednesday, or do you think just put the seed down and as long as it doesn't get wet, it wasn't hurt just to have it sitting there? Yeah, probably. I would, you know, you have you've done the core aerating, or you're going to do the core aerating? No, it's I would, already done. Yeah. Okay. So then I would put the seed down and put the compost on top of it, and then on top of that, then that's where the seed starter type fertilizer would go. Okay, so you should put the seed down first, and then you should put the compost down. And right, because that will act it. as a somewhat of an insulator and it has moisture retention and things along that line. Okay, I've got one other question. I've got some cannas that I put out this year and the first time, and they grew it to about you know, seven feet tall or so, pretty high. And so are those bulbs, and should I let them all die down before I dig the bulbs up? No, I. you know, you can get rid re- Whenever they stop flowering and the foliage starts turning yellowish, then, because if you let them, the frost get them, they get really mushy and they're kind of gruesome to, you know, to pull up out of the ground and the stalks and everything else. So what I do is as soon as the foliage starts turning yellowish, you know, through the entire stalk, then I chop them off. And then consequently, then they are a bulb where they're actually a tuber. And uh, then I dig them up, shake the soil off of them, put them in paper bags and then put them in my basement. Like, okay, I already did that with the tulips that I had earlier, so that sounds good. And that should be okay, and then just put the cannas bulbs out. When do you put it back, like in November or so then? No, 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 you got to put the cannas out, you know, after the ground, after winter's over. So they go out okay. sometime in, like, mid-April or, you know, 1st of May or something along that line. Okay, so the cannas bulbs. Now, if I've got some existing tulip bulbs from the previous year, do I put those out, like, in April then, too? No, no. Tulips have to go November. through the entire winter time. So tulips okay. are planted in October. Now you don't have to dig the tulips up every year. All right. So I you're just, just doing that because you year. want to. Yeah. Most of the time, I just leave them in the ground, and yeah. sometimes they come up, and sometimes they don't. Right. That and that's just a genetic factor with the tulips anymore. Okay. And if I've got a viburnum, um, I've got a little stra- stranglers here, there as far as trimming it. Should I not trim that anymore since it flowers next year? No, you can go ahead and, because that flowers on old wood, so you can go ahead and prune that now to get rid of those. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate your service. Yep, thank you. And now let's go to Keith in St. Charles. St. Charles, no, St. Louis County. Hi, Keith. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. Your your previous caller addressed a lot of my questions. Uh, I've aerated. I'm going to compost is being delivered on Monday. I'm going to put some seed out. What kind of fertilizer would you suggest putting on that to help it out? Well, I always, you know, I go back to the same thing I keep saying. Getting a soil test done will tell you the best fertilizer. But let's say you don't have one, you're not going to be able to get it done, blah, 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 blah. Then in the future, do get a soil test done. But as a caller in the last hour said, which type of seed starter fertilizer should I use because there's so many different ones? I would just make sure the numbers are relatively low on all the numbers across the bag. So like a, a 10, you know, 5, 5 or something along that line. Thank you very much. Yep. Even if it doesn't say seed starter fertilizer on it, if the numbers are relatively low, that's going to be a lot safer than high numbers. Thank you so much. Yep. And Bye-bye. now let's go from Keith's yard 
uh, to Sue's yard in Eureka. Hi, Sue. Hi, Mike. Thanks for your show. A um, couple of things. Uh, due to health reasons, uh, my the crabgrass has grown into my paths of, of mulch. And um, it, it's hard to spray because of, of the breezes and the, and the pets that are around. But, but if I would get a chance to spray it, would it be too late for that? Yeah, I wouldn't waste my time, to be honest. Okay. Because it's okay. going to be dead soon anyway due to weather. And then killing the mother plants now, yes, you're going to get rid of some, let's say, potential seeds, but there's probably already a lot of seeds that have dropped. So, But next oh, year in these bed spaces, use a pre-emergent called Preen, P-R-E-E-N. That's for, okay. you know, for bed spaces. And that will kill you. Know, put it down when the forsythia yellow shrub is in flower, even if you don't okay. have one in your own yard, just watch for them in the neighborhood. And then okay. that's when you put it down. Okay. And can I... My crepe myrtle is in full bloom. Is it okay to to trim that back after it finishes blooming? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And and one other thing, um, coleus uh, are deer resistant. I just love coleus. It, it still gives you a lot of color. Yes. And they're and they're interesting, and they do produce them little flowers for bees. Uh, and all you have to do is cut the end off of a coleus uh, stem. Put it in dirt, and it it practically roots overnight. And and what I did last year was I I wintered over uh, about three or four of the varieties. Right. And they came out really, really nice this spring. So I've got about six varieties started out out there right now. Sounds perfect. And it it works if you keep them in in in, in a good sunny window. Right. And also, I mean, they even root in a bottle, you know, a bottle of water or a glass of water, too. So thanks, Sue. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for the Cards and Dodgers this afternoon. Amron Total Access 1110. First pitch, 12.05. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got about six or seven minutes. And then at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards. Then at 11.10, Amron Total Access pregame show with Alex Ferraro. And then at 12.05, the Cardinals versus the Dodgers. And I think I remember them saying today, these two, the Cardinals and the Dodgers, are tied up for the uh, wild card team. (laughs) I hope the Cardinals do good. Darren lives in St. Peter's. Hi, Darren. Good morning. Uh, i got a question about Georgia grass. Is there anything I can use to help it spread faster? It seems like in the front I have a small area that's starting to spread. And I put some nitrogen, small amounts of the 4600, and it just doesn't, I mean, it's spreading, but very, very slow. And in the back, I have a patch that I don't even touch, and it seems like it's doing way better. So, yeah, that just shows you nitrogen is great, but it only stays, let's say, more or less effective for a few days, and it becomes a gas, and it goes up into the air. So I would say the overall health of the zoysia, where you're trying to get it to spread faster. But no, there is truly no way other than having a decent, adequate soil with a you know core aeration, dethatching, all that other stuff, and compost. But beyond that, and fertilizing the zoysia, start fertilizing. Maybe the depending upon the weather, first fertilization is going to be let's say end of April, May. Then feed it every month all the way through September. 
Okay. Now, what about water? And does it help to keep it very watered, or is it better to have it drier? You don't want to necessarily have it overwatered by any means, but you don't want to have it dehydrated either. So it's pretty tough. Right. We always have, you know. So, like I said, I'm gonna after the I come back from my walk and talks today. I'm gonna water my lawn, and we haven't had any rain for about uh, eight or ten days. So, you know, at the ten day mark. If we haven't had any rain, then I go ahead and water my lawn. And my lawn is Zoiza. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. And then if in the heat of the summertime, it's every seven days versus every 10 days, even though it's still so hot. Gwen lives in St. Peter's, too, so we're saving gas. Hi, Gwen. Good morning, Mike. I have a question. I have several um, butterfly bushes, and I was wondering when the proper time is to prune them. They're just like the crepe myrtle or the uh, rosa sharon. They're summer bloomers, so you prune them any time after they finish flowering and the foliage leaves start falling off and finish all the pruning that you're going to do before the new growth begins next year, next spring. Okay, perfect. I thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah, and that's always because things that flower in the summertime – flower on new wood, so consequently you want to make sure that you're not pruning the new wood by pruning it too late in the season. Vicki is in, Chess, in Chesterfield. Hi, Vicki. Hi. <clears throat> I bought a, a black uh, coral, colocasia. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not sure. I want to know if I can bring it inside. It is so beautiful, and I have a sunroom. Yeah, you should be able to. It should be fine. Oh, okay. It's not in the ground, right? It's still in the pot? Oh, no, it's in the ground. Oh, hmm. It's a problem. Yeah. Get it up out of the ground and uh, put it in a pot with potting mix. Okay. And so this is one of the plants that kind of looks like a big elephant ear, right? Yeah, but it's prettier. Yeah, it's black. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, normally you don't bring them inside, but uh, if you bring it inside, give it a try. And then during the wintertime, if it's sort of like, I mean, you have a sunroom, so that's going to be very helpful. So it may do well. And if it doesn't, if the, let's say the, all the foliage just dies off, then the bulb is fine. Just stop watering it and then just, you know, put it out next, you know, next, let's say late summer or late spring, early summer. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And Larry's in Lake St. Louis. Hi, Larry. Hi, Mike. Uh, we're having some uh landscape work done by Allen Tree Service, and uh, we're on a uh, hillside south-facing with some mature oak trees, and we're thinking about some smaller trees, and they've suggested redbuds. I'm looking for other suggestions. Uh, would would dogwoods uh, survive in that situation? It depends upon you know the soil and everything else. Redbuds are tough because they can grow in rocky soil. I don't know what your soil it's actually rocky. is. So it's rocky. Yeah, so that's probably a pretty good choice then. I would say and then look at there's a tree called serviceberry. Serviceberry is an amelanchier. It's native to Missouri. It blooms, you know, pre-dogwood, has red berries on it, so maybe give that one a try. And since you, I don't know if you want it in a natural setting or not, but just try, you know, a couple different sizes of, you know, all these things. And just, I know they know what they're doing, but that's probably the two I would try is Redbud and then the Serviceberry or Amelanchier is a bot- botanical name. Right. We also uh, are looking at some, or they've suggested some hydrangeas. Uh, do they do well in in this? Uh, it's not a real dark shade cover, but, uh, you know, there is shade, yet it's 
that south exposure on rocky soil. Yeah, hydrangeas are, you know, in a rocky circumstance, if they improve the soil and everything else, you should be fine. But if without adequate soil improvement, hydrangeas are not going to do all that good. Okay. One last quick question. Uh, there's some viburnums also suggested. Is this the plant that has that fuzzy pollen on the leaves, or are there other viburnum varieties? There are different varieties of viburnums, definitely. Okay. So well, some of okay. them will be a little bit furry, and other ones won't be. Yeah. I'm allergic to that first. Stuff, Ooh. Wow. Then I'd say stay away from all of them. Right. You've done some work for us down in St. Charles uh, on South Main. My wife, Dee, is part of Mosaics. They're their festival is this or this afternoon. In fact, this whole weekend, and they got uh, a bunch of great artists and a good place to go. Well, great. Well, thanks. Thanks, Larry and uh, Dominic. If you can do it, less than a minute. Absolutely. Um, I have a couple of squash and zucchini plants that just recently started dying off. It looked like they were being chewed at at the stem. When I cleared the dead debris. I found a whole ton of roly-polies. Now, there was one squash plant that was still alive, and when I cut off a dying leaf, a roly-poly crawled out. Are they are they killing and eating the plant, or are they just taking advantage of the plant because some other disease is getting it? Yeah, basically, they do not really eat live plant material. They are like dead plant material consumers. So the fact that they okay. were there just indicates that something else has sort of sent these plants downhill. So that, you know, okay. they're, they're not the, they're, let's say, the qualified problem. So thanks, Dominic. Thank you. Yep. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.